0: Hello oh and welcome to episode Clark MacArthur of the Cosper Pointcast. I'm your host, Trevor Shackles. On with me today is my Silver 7 Sens colleague, Nate, aka NKB. Nate, how's it going?
1: Pretty good, pretty good, Trevor. It's a uh, playoff season, and it's pretty hard to complain right now. It's funny to think back on, you know, where we were last year, 12 months ago, how uh, despondent the fan base was. And I mean, with good reason, things ended very poorly, and it's just kind of remarkable to think. Uh, not only how much further the team is in the playoffs now, but just generally how much better the kind of outlook is for the team. If you'd told me 12 months ago that they'd be in the second round of the playoffs with a good shot at the conference finals and like... A puncher's chance at the stanley cup finals i would have called you crazy so this is this yeah is, it feels pretty good
0: <laughs> I, I mean even if you'd said that a couple months ago i thought you'd be crazy i mean i predi- predicted them to be out in the first round so i mean yeah. definitely take where we are right now for the uh up in the 2-1 series against the rangers um yep. so the first thing i wanted to talk about as always there's lots to unpack today um and i Although I haven't done an episode since before the playoffs, so I didn't have time to talk about the Bruins with anyone on the Cost Per Pointcast, I just wanted to touch on the Rangers for today. So firstly, I feel like we have to touch on this so-called attendance gate thing where the Senators had a low attendance for game one. (laughs) Um, I feel like I know how you're going to react to this, but do you have any thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess there there aren't a ton of original thoughts that are left to say about right. you know why Sen's fans haven't come to the games in the way we'd hope they would. I think that um, it's extremely complicated, and pretending that there's one solution is probably a mistake, and it's complicated because um, of a variety of factors that we're all aware of. The arena is not in a good spot. Like, we can delude ourselves about it, but it's not in a good place. That doesn't help. Um, it is... Um, expensive to go to NHL games and there's a large segment of the population in Ottawa that uh, hasn't been paid or hasn't been paid properly for quite some time because of the Phoenix pay system uh, in the, the public sector and it is a situation also where you know price went up between round one and round two and I just think that you know everyone's aware of these factors and it sucks that it happened that way. There's no kind of two ways around it. It sucks that it wasn't a full rink, but those, those are real factors, and you know how much of a role each plays in it is, um, is kind of up to the individual person. The one thing I would say, though, um, my, I guess my only original thought on the topic is that I, I just don't get the attitude from s- not just some fans, but some, some people in the media Mostly outside Ottawa, I guess. A couple national columnists um, that kind of took the attitude that like Sens fans were somehow to kind of to blame for this. It just it just seems yeah. silly. Like there's no there's no winning here, and there's I just I can't I can't bring myself to criticize people for not being able to afford to or make the time to go to games. Like I would love it if the rink was full all the time. I, I just don't I I just don't think that's like a fair or reasonable criticism. That's the only thing I would say
0: I mean, well, did you see the Sid Sixero thing that he talked about being like, Ottawa has I, to grow a I really up? tried to
1: ignore Sid Sixero. I, I,
0: saw, I saw the video. I was oh, aware. Oh, totally and, but and, yeah, go on. And, and I mean, it was um, it was clickbait title and stuff. So pe- people were gonna get riled up about it. Um, but that's that's who uh, who I thought of when you first said that and it's pretty ridiculous because literally two days later, Ottawa, I, I believe they had a sellout on, on Saturday. Did they not?
1: Yeah, 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 for sure.
0: Yeah, so so no one really talked about the fact that they yeah. had a, a sellout for game two. It was just sort of like, oh, well, they should have sold out game one as well. So, I mean, I think, I think it's sort of, this was, I guess, a story almost a week ago now. So I guess we're beating a dead horse at this point, but I feel like we just have to mention it or else it, it seems weird not to. But no, Yeah, um, no, I
1: mean, you, you can't... There's, 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 whether we like it or not, there's no escaping talking about it. Ottawa no, no. Ottawa's a small market team. There's always going to be questions about attendance. I guess, I mean, the other thing I would say with regards to some of the talking heads from Toronto in, in particular is uh, it was only last season that the Leafs didn't sell out games. I know it wasn't the playoffs, and I know, you know, it wasn't some you know riveting chase to the finish but they they hadn't they didn't sell out their games when the team was bad for long enough and you know things aren't going your way even the much vaunted toronto maple leafs sometimes don't sell out games it happens that's just kind of where i end up landing on that
0: yeah no, i i totally agree um i think that's pretty much all we can say on it uh let's we might as well move move on to the actual games now um we're heading into game four tomorrow but we could probably devote a whole episode to discussing the game two the amazing game two on saturday and what was that experience like for you watching that game
1: well it's actually kind of a funny experience for me uh because my, and this is, this is, this is a, a funny, I guess kind of personal story, um, so my girlfriend and I, and I, I think I said this on Twitter as well, so this isn't like some big secret, uh, so my girlfriend and I have been going out for uh, pretty much exactly five years now, uh, and we met in Toronto and she's from the Ottawa area, she's from the Ottawa Valley, and uh, we met online and she postponed our first date. Five years ago, which you may recall was when the Ottawa Senators were playing the New was York the Rangers game? in the playoffs. Yeah. 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 Nice. And she postponed our date. She did. So, because she wanted to watch the hockey game because, <laughs> she, and she didn't think she'd make a good first impression if all she was doing was watching the hockey game. So, months ago, we'd planned uh, to get away for the weekend and go to a bed and breakfast just outside of Belleville for april 28th (laughs) which was when this game was happening and so it was just really like this kind of hilarious series of coincidences and when um we got there we had planned to do all these kind of activities but we just ended up camping up in the in the bed and breakfast and watching (laughs) the game which was pretty funny but it was also it was weird because i'm 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 obviously kind of a, a numbers person, and I certainly have a reputation for that, and I won't shy away from that. But at the same time, like, I'm just a regular fan too, and this really, it, for me, it just kind of felt like, it was like, oh, of course they're playing the Rangers on this kind of important day in my personal life, and of course, you know, they're going to win. It just. I even I even said it on Twitter while I was watching the game. I just I just for whatever reason in that game, I didn't I mean I didn't think Tycho was going to score four goals, which is incredible, <laughs> but I just kind of I just kind of felt confident the whole time. I was like this Ottawa team's good. Um, I think they're better than the Rangers. I re- I really do. Um, and it felt like they could score a lot of goals on Lungfist. And I was just never worried. I was ex- I was excited the whole time and it was incredible and you know we were like screaming our faces off in this tiny bed in breakfast <laughs> but uh but it, it just i just kind of felt confident about it the whole time which was it was a very funny feeling it was very surreal
0: that's uh that's quite the story i i definitely did not feel confident um i so you were able to watch like the entire game you didn't you didn't miss any of it
1: uh, we, we listened to the first period on the radio because we were driving that's not too bad but i mean i but then we saw it was second third and overtime and double overtime. yeah that's pretty good
0: i um for the last few saturdays i've been working from like 12 to 4 um just at the rink and Mm -hmm. so obviously the game two against boston was during that time so i remember i was gonna sort of like follow on my phone um for the first two periods and then i had the whole game tape so i was just gonna come back and just watch the third period and I remember once it was three one, I just sort of gave up and, you know, I was like, okay, hey, I'm I'm not gonna bother uh, waiting all this time. And then they ended up coming back, and uh, I watched. I ended up watching overtime at home because I, I waited for that. So I did the same thing <laughs> for this. Once it was five three, I mean, there was what three and a half minutes left, right? Like I yeah, yeah. I I'd, I'd given up. I wasn't I wasn't expecting anything. And then all of a sudden, I, I'm seeing on I'm following on Twitter, and I see Pajot scored scored these two goals. So I'm like, okay better turn off all notifications wait for like an hour uh, until I'm finished work and then I can get home and watch overtime and del- double overtime so I didn't get to see the um, the fourth and fifth goal from Peugeot, which kind of sucks but I at least got to see the double overtime goal and that was just that was just insane
1: it was it was incredible it actually you know what I was I was thinking about uh, when I was thinking about the Sens playoffs in the last couple of years is there haven't been a lot of games. I mean, they've bowed out in the first round a couple of times and they haven't made the playoffs a couple of times. But if you think about it, there really have been a lot of kind of really remarkable games. No. You know what I mean? Like, so there was um, the series against Montreal with um, the big line brawl and, you know, the three, the three partial goals. Like, in terms of, you know, being a remarkable game, that was a remarkable game. And, you know, <clears throat> game uh, two against Boston this year as well, you know, stuck to, In the third period, you know, Carlson makes an incredible play to set up brass for the the tying goal, and then he win it in overtime on a slapper from Dion Pinoff, of all people. Like, that was a pretty incredible game, and then obviously this Pajot game. So, I mean, even though we haven't seen a a ton of games, we've kind of gotten full value from the ones we have seen in a way.
0: Yeah, I mean, I had written down on my notes before the show that this will easily go down as one of the best sends playoff games of all time and probably just oh easily yeah I mean there can't really I mean literally just in the last decade there's what there's a few of those overtime games um like the, there's the, the
1: Alfredson game where he scores the tying goal yeah, and, then scores. You know, left, and the green scores the yeah. yeah that's that's a good one
0: and I, I mean just just the fact that Paggio has 50 percent of Ottawa's playoff hat tricks all time I mean that's just that just <laughs> makes that a game even more incredible <laughs>
1: You know what's funny about Peugeot is he's played something. I was looking at this. He's played something like thirty um, playoff games, I think, at this point, and he scored uh, ten playoff goals now. Seven of which came in those two games. Yeah. So like, in, 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 when he when he goes when he goes off, he really goes off. I, well, yeah. I, I tweeted
0: after his four goal game. I think he moved all the way from he was like eighteenth. All-time in uh, playoff goals for the Senators. Then he moved up to ninth, and then I guess with the goal the other <laughs> night, he's I think he's like seventh, and he's tied with Danny yeah. Heatley right now.
1: Danny Heatley, yeah. wow.
0: tied with Danny Heatley.
1: <laughs> it's funny. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, to, to go back to a second to the actual game itself, though, I mean, there were there were a couple things that that I thought were interesting when I was watching Game Two. I mean, Game Three was such a disaster. I don't even know it's worth unpacking, but. Um, what I f- found, one of the things I found really interesting, and other people commented on it, was uh, especially after the game, how heavily Vino started to lean on Stahl and Holden and Girardi and McDonough at the expense of uh, Shea and Smith, who I, th- I mean, I thought had been their best pairing both in Game One and Game Two, and I mean Shea scored two goals in Game Two as well but I'd have to go back and look at the logs, but I don't think he played much at all in the overtime. So he, like Vigno was riding Stahl, Holden, and Girardi um, McDonough hard. Right. And on the winning goal, the, the Pajot goal, like I don't know what Holden's doing on that. Like It's a great play by Burrows to, to chip it off the boards like that, um, but if you watch it, Holden's coming in to pinch from the point and he's got no back support, like that's why Pajot's so in the clear on the 2-on-1. And he's never going to get to that puck. Like, I mean, maybe Burroughs had to make a great play to, to chip it the way he did to get at Pajot, but at the very least the puck's getting out. And like maybe it's going to be a scramble 2-on-1. And I mean, I don't know, maybe Smith or Shea makes that play, maybe they don't. But I just, I have no idea what Holden's doing there. And one of the things that I thought changed between Game 2 and Game 3 was um, how much more ice time Vigneault gave to Shea and to um, Smith versus the Stahl-Holden pairing. I don't know if you saw, but like they kind of had, like, the CBC had a couple charts where they're looking at the breakdown of the, the ice time for the three pairings, and Shea and Holden were, uh, pardon me, Shea and um, Smith were, which were much higher of the pecking order, and that makes a big difference for the Rangers.
0: Right, I, I think it's pretty clear that Shea's, I guess their second-best defenseman. Um, he had a really, really phenomenal season this year. Um, and I think you're right that um, the other two pairings, I mean, if you have Girardi on one pairing and Stahl on the other, those are two kind of anchors that um, like, a guy like McDonough is not going to be able to succeed with Girardi on his side. So, um, yeah, that's definitely not good if Vino realizes that Shea and, and um, Smith need to play a lot more often, but... Um. Still, at the, at the end of the day, I'd still take Ottawa's defense core over the Rangers just because they have Eric Carlson. So it's not. It's not like they're some. Um, I don't know. They're not. They're not some defensive juggernaut, really. No,
1: no, 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 yeah. no, 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 definitely not. I mean, the, the Rangers' strength is definitely up front. They, when I mean Vino's bit of a weird choice to insert glass in in my opinion. Yeah. I mean I know some people applaud that, especially at the expense of Butch Navage, who I'm I mean, I know I know he's a young guy. I know he sometimes does funny, you know, quote unquote defensively irresponsible things with the clock. But whenever he's out there, I'm always worried. Like he he does a lot of really positive things for the Rangers. So I I don't really get that substitution pattern, but since <laughs> a sense fan I'll take
0: it. Nate, I I mean, I have to remind everyone that comes on this podcast, all coaches are bad. (laughs) So it it doesn't matter. Um, I wanted to just touch on one thing quickly, though. Um, Going into game two, or sorry, not going into game two, but when they were losing um, 3-1, 4-2, 5-3, I was pretty much resigned to the fact that... they were going to lose and like I was fine with that honestly like did you did you sort of feel that same way like oh well like we took one out of two at home like we can take at least one uh in New York and everything will be fine I I feel like a lot of us sort of felt that way
1: yeah I mean it, it really depends what your expectations were for the series I guess um I was I was as I said I was I was kind of weirdly confident that they were going to come back and win it um but at the same time you don't you don't want to be in a situation where you have to win um more than one game on the other team's home ice, right? Yep. I mean, if Ottawa goes back to uh the Rangers, you know, home rink 1-1 and, you know, game let's say game 3 plays the way it does, they're down 2-1. Now you're looking at a very difficult situation, and that's a, that's that would have been a very realistic outcome. So I know two nothing kind of makes it feel like wow this is this is gravy, but realistically, you know, if you want to be in the driver's seat, you you need to take the first two games at home. That's that's just kind of the, the nature of the beast. So I mean. Was I? Was, I'm in this, In a global sense, I'm satisfied that the Suns are even here at all. As I said at the the top, like yeah. you told me a year ago, they'd be here. That's incredible. But you know, given where they are, and given the team they're icing now, and given their opponent, um, no, I, I I think a one-one split would have been mildly disappointing after the way they played game one.
0: Okay, so so given everything that you've said, then are you? So I mean, after game two, that was pr- probably the high point of the entire season. Uh, for the Senators, and then obviously Game Three was a massive dud, losing four to one. Are you still optimistic about their chances? They're still winning two one in the series. Like, do you still think um, they're going to pull it out?
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm still pretty high on on them winning this series. I think there are um, lots of reasons to believe that Ottawa's still the better team. I think that one to twelve, if everyone's healthy, the Senators probably have. Uh, a better, maybe a slightly better forward group though it's, I mean the Rangers have a very deep forward group Uh, and I mean I'm basing this on Vigneault's recent decision to to have Glass in there, no one when Ottawa's got their 12 healthy guys and um, Boucher lines them up the way he did last game, there's no one on Ottawa that's as much of a weak link as Glass Um, Glass is just not really an NHL caliber forward um, in most senses of the word, as long as uh, as long as Boucher resists the temptation to tinker with his lineup, assuming everyone's healthy, that's I think that's a slight advantage to Ottawa. And you know, as we discussed, um, the sense of a better have a better defense core. I mean, you know, they played very poorly last game. There's no there's no way around it. But at the same time, the Rangers aren't a bad team, and they've got a lot of strength up front there are going to be games where you get rolled every once in a while. Even good teams get rolled in the playoffs. It's it's really easy to fall into this trap of, um, you know, getting too high or getting too low based on totally. like the last thing that happened. And I, you know, as long as you have the slightly better team and you give yourself the best chance to win, like that's, that's really all you can ask for. I mean, I know it sounds kind of simple to say it, but I mean, that's how I feel. If, 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 the Rangers had a clearly better team, even if Ottawa was up two-one. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be as confident about it. But I think Ottawa's got at least as good, if not a better team, and they're up two-one this series. So yeah, I still feel good.
0: Yeah, I, I'm not too worried just yet. Um, game three was definitely a scheduled loss. Like the Rangers knew they they couldn't lose at home, no. uh, already being down two nothing. So I feel like I feel like Ottawa was just sort of. Happy that they're up to nothing and, and they weren't gonna press too much, e- even though like it's just human nature to to sort of. I, I mean, it's sort of like score effects, right? If you're up to nothing in the game, uh, with 10 minutes to go, you're not gonna press as much, and the other team is gonna attack more. So, it's just sort of human nature. That's how things work out. Um, I definitely would say if they lose, on well, I guess people are listening listening to this on Thursday. So if they lose today, I'll be uh, a bit worried, but even at that point they would still have the advantage with having uh two home games left out of the last three games. So either way, it's not it's not like doomsday scenario unless they lose the next two really. But like you said, I pound for pound, they're not they're not really that much worse in any position. I I would say that the Rangers forwards are a bit better um if they don't play glass, but i mean even with even if they do it's not it's not a huge um i don't wanna say huge ice but it's not like a huge black hole, I guess, just because he's only mm-hmm. playing five minutes or whatever so mm-hmm. um but yeah, I, I pretty much agreed with everything else you said like it's it's definitely not time to panic just yet, and it's just one game, so they've only lost three games these playoffs
1: <laughs> yeah no i mean that's it's it's so tempting in the playoffs to get sucked into attributing more importance to the last thing that happened um because everything's so high leverage and everything's so tense right yeah. and that I mean that's that's where having you know people people talk about experience being Im- important and and most of the time I think people overvalue that but the one area I would say that you know being experienced and and being sure of yourself is important is in these kinds of situations where you know uh, not to overreact. I guess I would say, you know, it, it, the one caveat I would add to am I concerned or not, the one way I might be concerned, and I don't think it's the case, but we're, we're going to find out more next game, is if the Rangers have figured out a way to suppress the sins coming through the neutral zone. Um, because, the, I mean, they came out... Just absolutely on fire um, from their own kind of attacking perspective but Ottawa had an awful hard time generating any kind of transition attack at all against the Rangers there was a when when the Sens look bad this is kind of what I mean this happens to every team but I find it happens especially to the Sens when they look bad they haven't had a lot of bad games this year but they've had a couple clunkers and when it happens um, they're being attacked and their defensive system is such that um, if you watch them in their defensive end, like, they collapse really heavily. Like They basically seed the points, um, the, the forwards are trying to get in the lanes, the defensemen are trying to get in the lanes. It's just a very kind of you know, collapse-upon-itself system. And if they are in trouble and they're not playing well, when the other team misses the net or the shot's blocked or the sends recover the puck, um, they're kind of getting out to the neutral zone and then chipping and changing, and this kind of cycle perpetuates itself where the opposing team goes back and gets the puck and attacks again, and the sends are back in the neutral zone. They're doing the you know the system, the trap, or whatever. The other team gets it in, and then this kind of cycle perpetuates itself. And that's when Ottawa's not going well. As I said, I don't think this is unique to Ottawa, but I think it's especially true of Ottawa. Um, you see that happening. So the only way that... The only thing that would make me worried long-term, and I think we'll see it pretty much at the outset, is have the Rangers figured out a way to neutralize Ottawa coming to the neutral zone? If they have, then yeah, I'd, I'd actually be kind of worried. But if they haven't and Ottawa is able to generate you know, rush chances again, then I think they'll be fine.
0: Right. And, and if that does happen, you would hope that Boucher tries to make an adjustment. Um, you know, hockey, you're, you're always trying to make adjustments to your game. So if that does happen, then hopefully he he notices that, that they're uh, shutting them down. And I, I will say with the Rangers, they seem like a team that can look really good at times because if they have all four lines going, and I mean, they have skilled players in all four lines. If they have all four lines um, in the offensive zone, look like they, they can actually score some goals, They look like a pretty damn good team, especially if they have uh, Henrik Lundqvist and net, you know, stopping everything that he sees, but at the same time, um, they definitely looked pretty bad at certain points this season, Um, and definitely, like, the, the game two where they allowed six goals, I mean, that's, obviously, Ottawa allowed five, too, so it doesn't look good for either side, but, I mean, that's pretty much their their basement, right? Like they can allow a lot of goals because their defense can be really bad, but at the same time their forwards can sort of bail them out. So they sort of have a a pretty low um, floor, but also a pretty high ceiling as well.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. They're they're in uh, use of basketball parlance. They're a, a high variance team. I think yeah. it, that's def- that's definitely true. The other the other thing, actually, just a final thought on on that game um, that. Really stood out to me was how good the Zabinajad Zuccarello Kreider line was. Like, I, I know Vignos, that wasn't a trio that he was necessarily employing together a whole ton in the first two games, but he had them together right at the start of, of game three, and they just rolled all over everybody basically. And that was, um, that was mildly scary that kind of gave me flashbacks to the boston series yeah. with the bergeron line <laughs> out there stunting all over everybody um and that was yeah that was i mean especially like cc and fanuff and harper who um harper looked a little bit troubled last game just they just couldn't keep up with that line that line was just they were out there trotting, and that was that you know, if we're looking for ways, we might be worried. That 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 line worried me a little bit too.
0: Okay. Well, why don't we talk about that now then? Um, I, I wanted to talk about Chris Weidman, and uh, since we're recording this on Wednesday night, I'm not totally sure what the lineup will be for Game Four. Um, but Weidman has been scratched for all game, all three games this series, and I'm gonna assume he doesn't play this game as well. Um, to quote Keenan Thompson, "What up with that?" <laughs>
1: Good question. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not privy to Guy Boucher and the coaching staff's kind of you know, internal discussions. It's very hard for me not to see um, the way that Boucher looks at Weidman as being kind of like a, a... I think he thinks, Boucher thinks Weidman's more of a one-dimensional player than he is. Even I mean, if you go back to the last game Weidman played in the playoffs, uh, which was uh, Game Five when Boston won in Ottawa um, in overtime, and then Weidman was actually scratched in Game Six, uh, and he's been and then he was scratched the first three games of this series too. Right. Um, he didn't play basically at all in the third period. And uh, the two overtime periods except, and I think this is really telling, he did play uh, on the second power play unit a couple times. Ottawa got a couple power plays and Boucher was willing to put him out there because I think Boucher recognizes that Weidman's a very important and very good offensive player, but he doesn't fully trust him defensively. The two goals that Weidman and Harper were on for in game five against the Bruins, one kicked off Weidman um, on kind of a, a fluky play, to be honest with you. And the other one was, was his guy that tapped it in. If you want to give Weidman a hard time for that, I think that's fine and fair. I guess the only thing I would say in that regard is that there are plenty of other defensemen on the Senators who are making as many and perhaps more egregious mistakes and are not getting stapled to the bench. So it, it just seems in the specific case of Weidman, Boucher has got an idea of what he can and can't do. And I, 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 I think he's missing the boat a little bit on Weidman's defensive capabilities. I don't think Weidman's like a shutdown stud or anything, but I think he's a lot more usable... Um, than Boucher gets some credit for
0: right and and I'm I'm definitely the high guy on wideman I honestly think he was Ottawa's second best defenseman this year and you know you you can sort of acknowledge that he had a few bad games uh, in the playoffs but I really it really annoys me the the group think from everyone that, all of a sudden, oh, he was he was bad for a few games, or he he was horrible, so he has to be scratchy. He, you know, he shouldn't be playing against a physical Bruins team. And then I saw someone else um, a couple days ago say something about how the Rangers are too physical, so Weidman shouldn't be in the lineup; it should be Harper instead. But, you know, like the Rangers are a fast team, so that's why I think um, Weidman should be in the lineup because Harper's going to get more exposed because he's not going to be able to keep up, and we've seen that a few times. So. I think it's just it's it's a bit odd that a guy like Harper has gained boucher's trust and and not not like a hundred percent trust because he's still getting third third pairing minutes, but he's gained his trust meanwhile, Weidman was like phenomenal for for most of the entire season playing alongside Mark Porrietsky of all people, and then he has you know i guess the last few weeks of the se- last few weeks of the season he he wasn't great and then a few bad playoff games and all of a sudden he's getting scratched I, it just it's just a bit mind boggling to me.
1: Yeah, and and I mean, <clears throat> I, I I think a lot of it has to do also with expectations in a way. Um, I think that Harper is, and I should be to be to be fair to Harper, and you know, I I don't mean this as a way of kind of pitting the two against each other and and kind of trying to crap all over Harper because actually Harper's been better than I thought he'd be. Oh, totally. uh, To be fair to to him, when we saw him last year and when we saw him the brief stint he had at the start of this year, he did not look like an NHL player. I mean, I was was not convinced that he was ever going to have any kind of role with this team. He just looked overwhelmed. And um, he's been mostly fine. Uh, The last couple games have been rough, but you know, all things considered, he's been a lot better than I I thought it would be. So just kind of as a caveat, I don't think Harper's been terrible. But I do think it has to do a lot with kind of expectations and player evaluation. So Harper is a big guy, and he skates actually pretty well for a big guy. I wouldn't say he skates well overall for an NHL player, but for a big guy, he skates pretty well. Um, And he is supposed to do defensive things. And the, the trouble with that is if your expectation for, you know, a defensive defenseman is that, you know, they'll hit people and they'll block shots and hopefully good, do good defensive things. But then once they have the puck, you kind of have zero expectations. Um, it, it can be really limiting. And that's, that's kind of the, the trouble with Harper, right? So he does a, things a lot of things better than I thought he would, but he's he's not really much good with the puck and, I mean, that hasn't changed. That hasn't been a kind of a big revelation. But because we don't expect him to do big things with the puck, it's kind of more okay. Um, whereas with with Weidman, um, there is this kind of belief that his perceived lack of being able to defend well is like a hugely limiting factor. Whereas you know, we tend to discount the stuff he does with the puck. And the stuff he does with the puck is really, really important. I know, like, the way that people think about uh, NHL hockey has has changed a lot in the last 10 years. But we're still, I, I think, anyways, a lot of analysis is still underselling how important it is to make breakout passes. Like, it's it's really important to be able to make clean tape-to-tape passes. And not, you know it off the boards, not put it in people's skates. Like, NHL players are really, really good at picking the puck up out of their skates, but you hit someone on the stick, they go in stride, and then they can attack a defenseman. And that's the biggest thing that 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 Weidman does well is he moves the puck really well. There's only Carlson on the Senators that moves the puck as cleanly and effectively as he does. Um, and I, I think that Boucher just is underselling how important that is and kind of overthinking the, the defensive side of it because he you know he had a couple bad lapses and, th- and that's not to say the lapses weren't there but on the net yeah I'd, I it would definitely benefit them to have to have Weidman back in there absolutely
0: did you not see that Cody pass Cody CC pass though in overtime on Saturday
1: the <laughs> attempted pass, yeah the at kind least? of flub thing that, that, <laughs> fell, that fell off his death. I could not stop <laughs> laughing <laughs> <laughs> it was it was just it was I know Co- Cody CC it's funny Cody CC's kind of like replaced we're cautious like the most polarizing player on the Senators cuz there are uh, there are leaning, a lot of he's people, leaning strongly people, leaning one way now <laughs> There are a lot of people re- still really like Cody There's people and I mean turning Sen- him though yeah, the Senate but the Senators still really like him. Like they, yes. they still think he's they still think he's really good. Um and like I mean I'm a Senators fan, so I want him to be good. Like it's not like right, yeah. this is the thing that that I kind of get frustrated a little bit about when I we talk to people, you know, evaluations of the players is like I want Cody Cece to be good. Like, I if he was good, I would say he's good because I want him to be good. I in fact, if he was just decent, maybe I would oversell him a little bit because I'm an Ottawa Senators fan. He's just he hasn't been good. I want him to be good. He just hasn't been good.
0: I know he. I I honestly just don't know what people see in him. Um, I, they really want him to be. well, Actually, I don't even know what they want him because they sort of want him to be an offensive guy, but then they also are playing him like he's a shutdown guy. So. I don't know. But, I mean, I also wanted to say, though, I think it's pretty evident the lack of offense from the defense without Chris Weidman. And it's not like – obviously, they're not losing someone like Carlson, but just that – like, you have one less option on the power play, and that's that's not yeah. great. That's no. th- that's one huge reason why I want him back in the lineup. Um, and also, like, to bring – to to use that word you said earlier, with, with variants, right, I think – Ben Harper has a lower variance. He's sort of he's sort of that safe pick, and the theme in hockey right now is well, you know, for for decades it's it's been this theme that GMS and coaches are pretty risk averse, right? So um, Chris Weidman he he could make one mistake and he could look a lot worse than Ben Harper, but then some games he's going to look amazing and he's going to look way better. So honestly, I'd rather go for that. Um, high-risk, high-reward guy because most of the time he's going to give you that reward rather than that risk. And and Harper is just sort of... He's going to be... He'll be fine, but he's still going to make mistakes too. like It's not like he's some robot that is going to block every single shot and make every single hit and and take the puck away. And and like you said earlier about about the breakout passes, he just cannot replicate what Weidman does there. So, I don't know. It just it's a bit frustrating for, for someone who likes wide minute as much as I do, but I'm not I'm not really expecting it, it to change.
1: The only I mean the only thing I guess I would say is that Boucher has been more flexible about more things than a lot of coaches, especially recent Ottawa Senators coaches have been. Yeah. I mean the one the one thing I would say that he's been Inflexible to his detriment about is the the cc pairing getting a ton of minutes. And I just, I mean, it's been going on all year, so I don't see that changing. But otherwise, he's been very flexible. Like, Boucher's done a lot of things that I've liked. He's done some things I haven't liked, but of, of the things he's done that I've liked is he's been open-minded to a lot of different uh, situations. Now, um, you know, it'd be very possible that he might kind of go back to old faithful but one of the things i thought that was really interesting is you know he spent this whole year uh loving tom piatt to like an alarming degree <laughs> and as far as i know Pyatt's healthy or could play now um but he hasn't drawn in and i i like that that to me is is a sign of boucher's flexibility like he he rode that pacho hoffman Pyatt line for a long time and you know, some some people didn't like it as much as he did, um, but you know, now that he's got 12 guys that were going well together, he as far as I as far as I can tell, and I mean, I I need to double check, but I I think he's healthy scratched Piatt two games in a row now, and I would not have expected that from him at the start of the year.
0: Yeah, I I could definitely see them not re-signing Piatt. I'd I'd much rather them re-sign a guy like Victor Stahlberg who's. Pretty much like a a perfect fourth, maybe even third line guy. Um, but I think just the fact that they have so many bodies up front makes it really easy for Boucher to mix things up. And, um, I honestly, like, if if you ask me what the lines were, what like the general lines were, I I would have no idea. I don't, they just (laughs) it changes every game pretty much. I can't keep up, although the D is pretty much the same the whole season.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's actually. I, I don't even know if it's, it's a negative or not, but I, that is one thing that I do find baffling about Boucher is how quickly he he juggles his lines. Like I, I, I have no way of measuring or knowing if it is a positive or a negative impact. Right. I know some people. I know some people love it. I know some people hate it. But it does confound me. Like how much he he juggles the yeah. lines. It's kind of crazy.
0: It's it's at least, it's at least noteworthy. So there's that. Um, So coming into the series, one of the main storylines was the battle between the pipes with Craig Anderson and and Henrik Lundqvist. Um, Mm -hmm. And after last night's game, Lundqvist has the slight edge in performance, but it's still close. So where do you stand with Anderson's play in the playoffs thus far?
1: Well, I mean, he was actually, he was quite good on the whole in the Boston series, and he was obviously very good in game one of the Rangers series. He's had two kind of... Uh, subpar performances. So, I mean, on net, I was just looking at this um, before we came on here because I was kind of curious. He's down to 12th, I think, in uh, the playoffs and, and save percentage. Um, so, but he's—I think he's nine seventeen. Yeah, nine seventeen. Was what I saw. Was what I saw when he looked. Nine seventeen is fine. Like, it's not—it's not losing you a ton of games. It's not winning you a ton of games. Um, so if he if he if he did nine seventeen you know the rest of the way, the Suns would have to score you know a lot of goals to win. Um, I think he can be a little bit better than that. He was better than that this season. To be to the be fair, out.
0: before that last game, I I believe he was at nine twenty three. So it's like I mean, yeah. things can change really quickly.
1: Obviously, yeah. and I mean that's that's why you know you're looking you're talking in small samples, and that's just kind of what I was going to get to with, Right with anderson he had a very good year this year he's been one of the best 10 or so goalies in the nhl for you know the last little while i fully expect him to to play well going forward the only question the only question with anderson and it's actually kind of the same question you gotta ask with lundqvist is um at what point does the fall off happen because they're not young Neither of them are young at this stage. Um, No reason to believe it's going to happen in the middle of the playoff series. But, like, at some point, Craig Anderson's going to stop being a really good NHL goalie. I don't think it's happened yet, so I feel pretty good about him.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's definitely made some really good saves. But at the same time, like, (laughs) it is just incredibly frustrating when he's going behind the net. Like, I, I honestly... I don't think he ever really had that bad of a reputation as, like, a terrible puck handler or anything, but I feel like this season, especially, like, in the second half of this year and in the playoffs, he's just been abysmal behind the net. Like, I've never seen such a bad puck handler behind the net. He's, he's cost them at least, like, four or five goals this year just from, you know, <laughs> bad plays behind there.
1: Do you think he knows he's bad? He must. No. I don't it, then he would, then he, would he said stop he it. said
0: he owed uh Taurus a Coke or something for that um when Rick Nash almost scored in uh, over Yeah,
1: that was that was such a funny kind of corny quote too. actually. <laughs> like I'll, I'll buy you a Coke. <laughs> but uh, but um uh, I think it's because Taurus abstains from drinking as my understanding. Yes. Um but um Yeah, I don't know. I mean there there are, lots of goalies that are really bad at, at playing the puck actually like one of the things that kind of drives me crazy about um, modern kind of NHL goalie puck handling is how often even the ones that are like less of a complete gong show than Anderson is when they go out and play it and just ring it around the glass to the defenseman like that's not a good play It it it's a turnover I mean I know it's you know a turnover on the boards and it's not on the slot but it's still a turnover and That kind of feels like the ceiling for Anderson like if he comes out and he doesn't it's like not a a grenade like that's like a good outcome so I I don't know what the answer is because the truth of of the matter is that if you're playing um, in the NHL you you have to be able to handle the puck to some degree it's the one of the best ways to counter a dump and chase attack it's one of the best ways even if you're just, like, semi-competent to kickstart a counterattack. Um, so I think he's got to keep doing it. But, like, man alive, he's got to <laughs> figure out some way. Yeah. It's, it's it's also, the part that always kills me about it is he goes out and he plays it or he fumbles it or whatever, and he just always seems to be swimming when he's trying to get back in the net, too. He's, like, kind of falling all over the place. He gets caught on the post. <laughs> like, on the play in game two where Turis had to save it, yep. Where Nash had, I think it was Nash had had the wraparound. So like Anderson, you know, mucks it up, and then he goes to get in the net. and He's like trapped on the post, and he's kind of falling <laughs> all over. I was like, "What are you doing? How are you doing this?"
0: Oh. Anyways. I, I I honestly would have been so pissed if that if that had gone in. Um, but like, the good news with him is that he he is making some of these big saves, like some of these saves you really need. So. And then yeah. he's let in some, you know, some floaters and some not great goals, some unlucky ones. So you'd sort of think that eventually those won't go in because, you know, you'd rather have a guy that's making the hard saves rather than the easy ones because eventually he's gonna keep stopping those easy ones. So there is a silver silver lining there. Um, I, I guess, like, I don't think anyone would say that he's better than Lundqvist, but he's been pretty close these playoffs. So at least that's something.
1: Yeah, no, I, I don't think, I think, you know, when we were doing our previews of the series, we talked about strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, Lundqvist for the pedigree for the playoffs he's had so far, you, you know, you've got to give the Rangers a slight edge, but not anything meaningful.
0: Right. Um. So now, now after a loss, it, it's pretty easy to harp on some negative things but I wanted to end the show with talking about just how awesome it is to see the Senators be this far in the playoffs for once because they literally have they haven't won two games in round 2 since 2007 so 10 years ago so you must agree that this is a pretty special run already
1: yeah and and, and you know it's funny I um the thing that's been that's been great about it I guess is twofold one this really I mean, I know that we went we've gone through rebuilds and various iterations of you know roster turnover. Um, but this feels like a new team. I mean, the I haven't always loved everything Dorian has done, but one of the things you need to give him a lot of credit for is how dramatically he's redone and remade the depth on this team in the 12 months that he's been at the helm. like If you look at the core pieces, the most important pieces, they're still there. They're still the same. So he's still, still got Carlson, he's still a Stone, he's still a Hoffman, he's still a Taurus. Um, those were always the guys that were gonna make this team go. And to be honest with you, I think you know most um, people who look at uh, Ottawa closely would, would tell you that's a good core. Like those, that's, You can build a very good NHL team Around those players, but for for years now, the depth has been not good. Um, you know, you just had guys that were overslotted, um, people being asked to do too much, and just having fourth lines and sometimes even third lines that, frankly, couldn't hack it at the NHL level. And it's been really tempting to say things like, "Ah, the fourth line doesn't matter that much." But look at how different this team is with four complete lines and it's just such a joy to watch not only like yeah they're they're doing it and they're going far but you keep these 12 forwards and these six defensemen and you know maybe you can quibble and try to upgrade here and there together and this is a good team again next year that that to me is almost the part I'm kind of enjoying the most like I I'm really happy they're in round two um, obviously you know, the further they go the better and hey who knows anything can happen right but the part that's making it so enjoyable to me is I'm not sitting down to games thinking well we're gonna get outshot 30 to 15 and hopefully Anderson makes a few saves and you know we can sneak out a win like they're playing good hockey and it's, it's so nice because it has been so long since it felt like they were playing like legitimately good hockey
0: Right, it's not it's not a total mirage when they when they're playing. Um no. <clears throat> even when you go back to the 2007 Cup run. That team was obviously a lot they had a lot higher uh higher end players, but you look at the the depth on that team. It was pretty bad. Like that was why one of the main reasons why they lost was because the Ducks had a really good third line. Pro- I can't remember their fourth line, but I, they probably had a good fourth line as well. Um so it's nice that Ottawa can actually roll these lines, and um, I'm not sure if the if Ottawa moves on and they end up playing Pittsburgh or something. I don't know. We we may end up hoping for like a Anderson standing on his head while they get out, outshot like thirty to fifteen. <laughs> but you know, for this series, yeah. it's different, and it, it was good to see at least that they. I believe they were over 50% um, possession against the Bruins and uh, like yeah. high-danger scoring chances and all that stuff. So yep. that was yep. good to see. And, like, it, it was just seven games, but it's it's encouraging, and it, it's it's just something different. Like, I yep. went auto went to the final in 2007. I was only 10 years old. So being, like, most of my childhood was – Ottawa being not so great right like this is the farthest mm-hmm. they've gone since that point, so it's something mm-hmm. different that um a lot of a lot of us younger fans haven't really experienced like I was you know I was following the team back then, but I wasn't like obviously super knowledgeable at the age of ten, so it's mm-hmm. it's different and it's exciting and it's it's a lot of fun being this far already
1: yeah it's it's super exciting i mean and it's 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 really exciting. I think more than anything else to watch Eric Carlson. I mean yes. I know it's I know it's I know it sounds like <laughs> kind of silly to say that, but it's it's just we really I really try when I watch The Sens play or when I'm writing about The Sens or when I'm talking about The Sens to remind myself like how good and special Eric Carlson is and how lucky we are that we get to watch Eric Carlson play hockey. Like it's it's super easy when you're looking at the team to try to you know think about it critically, um, which I think is a very valid thing to do and be like, you know, these are the pros and the cons and these are the negatives and here's what they need to do to improve. And you just kind of like have Carlson over there and you're like, oh yeah, he's one of the best players in the league. And it's just like, you know, one bullet point amongst fifty. But like Eric Carlson is so good. He's so good and he's even in these playoffs has done so many incredible things so it's just like it's just like the cherry on top of the run is not only is this team good and fun and playing good hockey and it's fun that they're going far in the playoffs but we also get to watch one of the greatest defensemen of all time in his prime like this is this is it this is this is prime carlson the next three four years here this is going to be as good as it gets and he looks he's incredible like it's you have to try to savor it and that's that for me is like the biggest thing i'm trying to do
0: yeah i mean he's he's honestly going to end up being one of the best defensemen of all time i'm i'm totally sure of that and not that i need um mainstream media's like approval that he's good or anything but you you saw in the first round just people in awe over him and i think if ottawa does go to the next round and and play pittsburgh they're gonna get a lot of coverage and there's gonna be a lot of people that are finally saying okay yes eric carlson is the best defenseman in the game and you know everyone in ottawa already realizes that but it will be nice that hopefully more people realize that as well because it's a shame that some people can't appreciate how good he is it's just it's nuts and like He's playing injured too. I don't know. I, I'm assuming, yeah. right? Like, I don't think it's no no, 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 no,
1: that's not healed. <laughs> yeah. So no way that's healed.
0: Yeah, that that's just absolutely incredible. And and he's still, just the fact that he can still like dial it up super quickly and you know beat a defenseman in two seconds and he's he's already at the yeah. net. It's just it's nuts. Um, I don't really know what, what else to say about him.
1: <laughs> no, well, the only thing I I think about sometimes when I think about Carlson is how. In a way lucky we are that it played out the way it did with him because there was certainly a period of time and you know a segment of the fan base and even a, i mean even a segment of the coaching staffs over the years in ottawa who were like not eric carlson fans um i mean you can go back to his con various conflicts with uh, mcclain or with Cameron or you know the people that said carlson should be a forward like there was it wasn't always a given. I mean, maybe Eric Carlson was so good that it was a given that we were going to come to adore him. Um, but remember, I mean, when he was made captain, there was this weird thing with Phillips and Neil who were like, maybe Chris Phillips should have been captain. Like, it wasn't always obvious that Eric Carlson was going to be the talisman of this team and that he was going to be, um, you know, the, the greatest thing to happen to the Senators like since Daniel Alfredson maybe ever. Um, not because he wasn't a good player, because there are all these kind of outside factors. And it's played out pretty much ideally, and that's I think worth appreciating as well. Like we're in a, the Sens are in a really great spot. Eric Carlson's in a really great spot. Like it's just a great time to be a Sens fan.
0: Definitely, it'll be a damn shame if he doesn't uh, end his career as a center. He should. You should never leave. Um... Oh, man,
1: why you got to bring that
0: up? <laughs> you got to bring some negativity. You know, we're, we're a podcast after all. I guess so. that's your brand. Also, also, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to be all positive to end the podcast. But, you know, people are probably listening to this before the game. What if we lose tonight? Is this Are people
1: just going to be losing their minds? I suspect so, but as I said up <laughs> the top, I'm not that worried. No. Like is hey, if they get out shot thirty to fifteen and they can't they can't muster any offense, yeah, okay, then it then it's time to get worried. But even if they lose this one and, you know, it, it takes Lungfist stealing a game for the Rangers, like at some point Lungfist is gonna steal a game for the Rangers, by the way. I mean I I I think, you know, you you play a long enough series against a, a, a goal goalie that's as good as Lungfist, eventually he's gonna steal a game. Yeah, sure. The the fan base might go nuts. I'm not gonna be worried as long as Ottawa plays a good game.
0: Yeah. Um pretty much to sum it up, it's a good time to be a Sense fan. Awesome. Yeah. All right, well uh, we can finish up the episode there. But Nate, is there anything you wanna plug right now, like your Twitter handle or any uh upcoming posts you got?
1: <laughs> no, I don't have anything. Nothing especially sure. I mean you can if you're not following me already, it's at NKB one two one. I don't I don't know why you guys follow me. I just tweet about Sense stuff, but um, yeah, I'll I'll have a couple pieces out um, in the coming weeks. I've got a couple of ideas that I want that I want to write about, but I nothing that I can kind of concretely articulate. But yeah, check my work on Silver Seven with with uh, Trevor. And um, yeah, I don't I don't have anything else to say. I'm not a good self promoter, I guess. <laughs> All
0: right, awesome. Well,
1: uh, thanks again for coming on the show, Nate. No problem. no problem, pleasure. As I
0: wrap it up, reminder that you can find the Cosper Pointcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can follow me on Twitter at ShaqTS and read insanely long comment sections during the playoffs at Silver7Sens. I'll be leaving for Europe on May 9th for a month, so there won't be a new Cost Per Point cast probably until the end of June, and I'm sure you're all incredibly sad and won't be able to sleep tonight because of this news, but hopefully the Sens win game four to get you excited again. That's all for me. Adios. (laughs)